Hello, data enthusiasts. This is Chris Detzel, and I'm Michael Burke. Welcome to Data Hurls. We are your gateway into the intricate world of data, where AI, machine learning, big data, and social justice intersect. Expect thought-provoking discussions, captivating stories, and insights from experts all across the industries as we explore the unexpected ways data impacts our lives. So get ready to be informed, inspired, and excited about the future of data. Let's conquer these data hurdles together. All right. Welcome to another Data Hurdles. I'm Chris Detzel and... I'm Michael Burke. How you doing, Chris? Good. I feel like this is de- deja vu all over again, Michael. We had two podcasts in one day. I think this is, a, this is good for us. We're yeah. getting high demand. High demand <laughs> and people are interested in coming on or I feel yeah. sorry for us. I'm not sure. No, I'm just joking. We have a special guest today, somebody that I'm really excited to introduce and, and I've worked with to some degree, Jay Nathan. Jay, how are you? Doing great, guys. Appreciate you having me. Good. Yeah, I appreciate you coming on. And you have such an interesting background and would love for you to tell us a little bit about yourself, what you do. You founded some things, you've sold some things and lots of really cool stuff. And so tell us a little bit about yourself, Jay. Yeah, thank you. I I appreciate that. Yeah, when people ask me about my career, I tell them it's been a goat path. You know, just like sort of (laughs) twisty turny. I started out of college as an engineer, a hands-on dude in the technology world. And when I got to my first software company in 2005-ish, I started running teams and getting involved with sales. So I've Hmm. run big services teams. I spent some time in product management. I I went to startup company and took a VP of customer success role, which is my first executive role. Did that for a few years, sold that company, started another company, started a community, which, you know, you and I have connected through called Gang Grow Retain, which is something I'm no longer engaged with, but it was one of the thrills of my career up up to this point. I worked for Higher Logic for three and a half years as chief customer officer, ran a team of 160 people there doing all sorts of things from onboarding to account management, customer success to support. And then just recently left there and I've joined another startup. I guess I'm a glutton for punishment that (laughs) automates retention workflows for particularly for companies that have credit card subscribers that, that whose customers pay by credit card. So that company is called Churnkey. And then I'm like you guys always keeping my hand in something in the media world between podcasting and writing every week in my newsletter and writing a lot on LinkedIn. I just, I like to share what I've learned and, and stay active in the community. You know, I, I love that uh, about you is, and I always follow your stuff on LinkedIn and you're always active. You're a senior leader, the executive that has done that kind of stuff and likes to share and help others. And so I certainly appreciate that about you. So thank you for doing that. And I learned a lot. Some of the things you've been writing about these aren't my questions, but are very interesting about when you think of SaaS companies and, and companies that, how they're run and financially. And one of the things, I've been dying to ask somebody this. So if you don't know, if you don't want to answer it, it's fine. <laughs> For some reason, it's come up in the last couple of weeks, even at my company and just reading, because there's just thinking around the rule of 40, right? Grow at all costs, no matter what. Be a 40% growth company. No matter what it costs, just boom, get the money get $100 million or whatever and just spend. But then with the economics for the last year or so, there's been this thinking around the rule of X, which is this thinking around profit profit efficiency and not 
so definitely growth is part of it, but it's not yeah. grow at all costs. No, it's and, changed and, a lot. Yeah, just in six months or less. Totally, so, yeah. So the rule of 40 is a, is an investor metric that people, the owners of your company typically look at. And it is really all about trying to find the balance between growth and profitability. If you rewind the clock back a couple of years mm-hmm. and you looked at a percentage point of growth rate versus a percentage point of profitability rate, a, yep. a company would, or, or an investor would value that growth rate percentage point at 10 to 12 times what they would value the profitability growth rate. Now, two years on from 2021, almost three, it, it's more like two or two and a half to one. So that's because the cost of capital has gone way up, right? Yeah, the, the cost right. of to borrow money, interest rates play a huge role in this. And so I think what you're seeing, we saw a huge run up in the value of SaaS companies over the past, from the pandemic forward until to your point about 18 months ago, 12 months ago, it all came crashing back down to earth. Now valuations are very much where they were back in like the 2016, 2017 era. So we've lost a lot of time, but you could say we got into this little bubble that was really fueled by free money. It was fueled by pandemic. Like a lot of other things were, we hired a whole bunch of people to support the growth that we had during those years. And now everything, everybody pulling back on that, reducing their headcount, getting more efficient. And yeah, the rule of 40 and rule of X are really a way to, for investors to look at, does this company have a balance between growth and profitability? So we can yeah. talk as much about that as you want to, but, but yeah, it's an interesting concept. Now it is an interesting thought. And as you come to this new company, would you say churn? churn it's called Turnkey. Yeah. Okay. Like yeah. a churn Turnkey, Turnkey. Yeah. No, it makes complete sense. What is your role there? And how do you think about those kind of financial metrics or investor type metrics there? Every software company, you know, the, the way I like to talk about software companies is think of them like a house, right? You buy a house, you're going to live in it for a while, but you hope that while you live in it and you're paying the mortgage, that the value of that house goes up. Yeah. Same thing with a software company, right? When, it, when a private equity firm buys a company or when a VC firm makes an investment into a company, they're investing at a certain value for that business. And they're hoping that over the next two, three, five, seven years, that it appreciates in value and, and then they sell it for a profit at that point in time. You know, as an operator and an executive in a software company, you have to always keep in mind that you are working for your customers. Absolutely. That's the, if, if you don't have customers and customers aren't willing to pay you, then nothing else really matters, right? <laughs> but you have to keep in mind these other constituencies too. You have your employees, of course, you've got to take care of them, but then you also have your investors and investors have invested in the business for very specific reasons, and that is to make money. And so it's, a, it's always a balancing act between doing the right thing for your customer, doing the right thing for your team, and then doing it in a way that your investors feel good about as well. And so some of these metrics are things that you should just be tracking over, over time and on a frequent basis regularly so that what the health yeah. of the business is and, and the people who invested it in the company to get it off the ground know what the value and the health of the business is as well. Yeah. And, and what are you doing at Turnkey? What's the... It's a startup. It's a, we're an early stage startup. And think about A round, B round, C round. We're not even there yet. We're at like okay. seed stage. Now, the beautiful thing and part of the reason I joined Turnkey and I think the world of the founders of Turnkey 
is because it's already a profitable business. They're, they've grown very deliberately over the past four years during that big run up. They grew very responsibly during that time and have built a great product for a great market and have a great team. I am the head of growth there, and that's a very nebulous term, but I am helping drive new business and yeah. also helping retain existing customers and build our customer success strategy. Love it. And yeah, as you start, it's, it's, is there a lot of data that you really look at just when you start something like that? Because I could see like over time, getting data, building dashboards and things like that, and then starting making decisions around some of that data. But what do you do with like a nothing? You're starting it from the ground up. What do you do? Well, we already have a few hundred customers, which is cool. Okay. And it's funny that you asked. I was looking over the questions before we got on the call today. And I, I spent most of the day pouring over data, actually most of the week pouring over data sets about yeah. our existing customers. We're looking at our pricing model and trying to make it more standardized and efficient to quote pricing to our new customers, as well as our renewing customers who we may be upgrading or downgrading for whatever reason. And you like to make those decisions based on some kind of data. And the best data that you have is about your customers, right? But usually that data set is a mess. <laughs> it's spread across your product. It's spread across your CRM, your billing system, your accounting sure. system. It can be everywhere. And so I'm excited that I got to churn key when I did because we're small enough now that we can really adjust some yeah. things and do some things with our data that will give us a lot of leverage and flexibility down the road a couple of years when we're really going to need it. Jay, quick question for you. I think that this is so interesting. I'm also, I made the switch from like large enterprise to startups fairly recently, about seven months ago. And we work together, so... Yeah, the chaos in these startups and like trying to understand what is real and what direction you're driving in is incredibly difficult, right? How do you know, do you even have an inclination of the customer you're going after now is going to be the same one you're going after six months from now? Yeah, that's a really good question. I think a lot of that craziness in our world is, I won't say it's behind us by any stretch of the imagination, but we know who we're going after today. And it's really, we started out by going after the people who sell to consumers and prosumers, meaning they're like individuals yep. who use professional tools. And that was great. But the reason I joined the company is because we thought there was an opportunity to go up market into companies a little bit larger. So not just the startups that have 50 employees, but our product actually works really well for companies that have hundreds of employees and millions and millions of dollars of subscription revenue running through credit cards every month. And we've done a good job of focusing in our ICP at the different ICP being ideal client profile at yeah. different stages of growth. Up until now, we've been very focused on the consumer and prosumer market and companies that serve those types of end users. But now we're starting to go up market into B2B. And I actually heard something interesting this week on a podcast that um, you guys know Dave Kellogg? You ever heard of him? I've heard of him. You would really like him being data guys and metrics guys. You would really like Dave's stuff. But he said something very interesting in a podcast he was on. He said that in the early days, ICP, your ideal client profile is idealistic, but the more mature you get, it turns into a regression, right? And that right. means you actually look at what you have in your customer yep. base and you say, okay, what is the biggest concentration of customers? What industries are they in? What size are they in? What are the use cases that they use our product for? Now, how do we go replicate the ones where we're having the most success, depending on how big those markets are, right? How do we go replicate that? How do we go get at them from a marketing perspective? 
How do we put them through a sales motion? What is that? Do they need to buy online or do we need a high touch B2B sales led motion to go engage those customers? And I think I got off topic of your question, but that's, it it turns in over time. There's another piece of advice out there. If somebody wants to buy your product, just sell it to them. And then over time you see who those customers are. And then you ask yourself, okay, what is repeatable here? But clearly we built the product for companies that have a high volume of subscribers to their products, lower dollars. So think $500, $1,000 or below on a monthly basis. That's who our product is really for. And today for us, that's SaaS companies, that's media and entertainment companies, it's consumer services and other things like that, where you would have a, a subscription kind of environment for your customers. So we'll stick with that. But it's a great question because over time, it definitely shifts depending on the success you have. Well, and it's so interesting too, because I feel like we're at this interesting time, right? You just said it earlier with the one to 2x multiplier on growth. That means that all of those lost customers matter a heck of a lot more. Yep. And you can't just ignore it anymore, right? We're at this point where every customer counts and you have to grind for it. That's really what we're seeing across a lot of different industries right now, which is, it's interesting. Have you seen, you know, your company, and this is really, off topic on the questions, my only my personal interest really, but like a big increase. By the way, I knew and, Michael was going to be very interested in this topic. Uh, so <laughs> he's right there. You can find data anywhere. Have you seen a big increase in, in demand, right? For these types of services over even the last six months, I would assume that is, is definitely seen an uptick, right? Oh, we, yeah, we've definitely seen an uptick. And our biggest problem is that this is a latent pain, but once we shine a light on the latent pain, people are like, oh my God, yeah, I have to have this. And yeah. so we have a couple of competitors, but the market is, is so big for this. And by the way, when I was doing research on this company, I was an advisor to them for six months prior mm -hmm. to joining you know, the team. Yeah, I did a little research and there's tons of reports out there that say the subscription market is only going to get bigger and not just a little bit bigger, a lot bigger. Yeah. Visa had a report that said that subscription companies are going to triple by 2025. The amount of dollars running through subscription <laughs> companies is going to triple. And you know it, right? Because even on your iPhone, you can't, you can Strange. hardly buy an app now that is just a one-time purchase. It's all about subscription. Funny story. I saw, I got an email from Apple the other day. Somebody in my house bought a subscription for something that costs $6.99 a week. And I was oh, like, hey, man. did you know this weekly? <laughs> So subscriptions are truly taking over the world, but no doubt. Yeah. Just think about the simple things like Netflix and all the other things that you get and people sometimes pay for two Netflix accounts or whatever. And so that service that just came out, what is it? They're advertising everywhere right now that like identifies duplicate subscriptions yeah. on your credit card bills. Yeah. You know what I'm talking yeah. about? It's amazing yeah. that we even need that. But we, we do. Subscriptions. <laughs> yeah. But my wife has a spreadsheet and she knows all my subscriptions. Would you? What is this? And so we got to put this on the spreadsheet. And uh, as you think about keeping your existing customers, one of the things that, and I know you're a small company, but you still have, you said a couple hundred customers already or whatever that number is. How do you think about, and what, and I'm curious about the data and Michael knows where I'm going here, probably, is this not just upsell, but expansion piece, like the cross-sell. One, do you have a cross-sell potential opportunity? But as your customers engage and evolve, there's got to be something else for them to buy. How do you look at doing that and, and thinking about how do you go deeper and wider into the accounts? Yeah. 
it's a great question. And, and by the way, back to the valuation conversation, mm. you look at the most valuable companies out on the public markets, virtually any company that's on the public market, period, mm -hmm. has an expansion motion or they have a, right. a product that is designed and packaged to expand usually in multiple different directions. You can expand user seats, you could expand functionality, or you could expand usage. You get the and upsell, you get the cross-sell, right? So That's right. So what you need to know first is what is your attachment of existing products to those customers? You have to know which customers have which products. It sounds like yeah. a really basic thing. You'd be surprised how many companies out there couldn't just pull that information up at a point in time and show it to you. So there's a lot of tooling around that. There you, of course, you have the CRM, you have yeah. the CPQ platform, which is the quoting tool, cost yeah. price quote tool. And then you have the billing system on the back end. And that data is captured amongst those three systems and maybe more, probably a spreadsheet or two somewhere, right? But that's number one. You have to know who's entitled to what products. And then you have to know of the people who have those products, what are the other products that they could buy or how are the vectors that they could expand? What yeah. does that look like? And so what I've done before, and this is not just here, we did this at my last company, which you're familiar with, Chris, which is we created cohorts, a discrete set of cohorts. We probably had 10 yep. or 15 different cohorts of customers that were segmented by the part of the market they were in, but also the product and usage attachment, the product attachment and usage of those products that uh, each customer had. And each of those 15 cohorts had a very specific play assigned to it. So we knew exactly what we wanted to do with that account, which was run them through a process to get them upgraded from point A to point B or to add on product A to product B. And it's really all about pre-planning and thinking through what you want to accomplish and then taking a, a pretty basic approach to putting customers in groups and cohorts. So that's a, making all this very simple is a highly undervalued skill set and activity in a SaaS company. Absolutely. Yeah. In my experience. Yeah. It is so much work. Even at a B2C company that I've worked at in the past, getting the commerce data to reflect appropriately, you'd think it would be easy because there's only a few subscription buckets. But then you look back five, 10 years, and you're like, oh my God, everything is different. There's a hundred different subscriptions and who's doing what back here? Yeah, that's right. Yeah, it is an art. Like, Things like, change. Like you said earlier, Michael, like, how do you know that what you're selling today is going to be what you're selling a year from now? It probably isn't. It's going to evolve. And so then yeah. you have to take into account different eras of data and it gets messy so fast. But that, that's why, you know, I made a, I thought it was a funny tweet the other day. I said that <laughs> the, the most prolific software platform in the world is Microsoft Excel. <laughs> exactly. Because anybody can build anything they need to build. You can analyze data any way you need to in Excel. And I think that there's always going to be a use case there. Whenever there's well, that. now they support Python and machine learning. It's like crazy what Excel can do now. It's amazing. It's a full-blown data science tool too. Yeah. I need to yeah. get back into Excel. I'm in Sheets right now, so. Well, I use Sheets. Maybe real quite a bit is, yeah, you get, you're probably a little smaller than our <laughs> usual co customer, but yeah. But, uh, <laughs> but certainly, I had all these questions more for uh, Chief Customer Officer. Now, I'm, now you're, it's a little different. I know you're probably doing some of that, but you're also over growth, which is uh, net new type stuff, but also a marketing function. Is that, would you consider yourself more in the marketing kind of area or is it sales, both, or is it hasn't been defined? 
I had in my last company, Chris, I, I was in a very similar role, more of a general okay. manager type of, uh, type of situation. Okay. And the reality is that at, at a certain level, if you're trying to help grow the business, yeah. yes, it's marketing. Yes, it's sales. Yes, it's customer success. It's product. It's everything, right? It's su support and service. Like you can't really isolate yourself from any of those things. But yeah, right now I'm predominantly focused on trying to figure out, like I'm becoming a student of the go-to-market motion of what we're trying to do at Churn. Got it. Yeah. And so I'm trying to have as many conversations as I can with companies who fit our profile to say, hey, like, how would you buy this? What are the factors that are in play for you? What is the pricing right? Is What is the security stance? For, uh, are we strong enough there for you as a larger customer? So right now, I am really focused on that. I have purposefully made myself a BDR. So I do all of my own outbound right now. Every day I have time on you my- You said you're on commission structure or? <laughs> um, 100 calls a day, you get X number of dollars. <laughs> That's right. But what you realize quickly about that is it's just these daily disciplines that yeah. make, yeah. Um, you know, that make things work. And so I'm trying to figure out what does that look like so that we can go scale it later. Yeah. And right now it's just really fun to learn and jump in. Also helping out with marketing. Like we're starting a, a webinar series in uh, early March. Um, awesome. And we're trying to figure out where to put a few paid dollars to go generate some more awareness. We're going to get really active on LinkedIn. Uh, Chris is like, yeah. that's a, just an amazing place. If you want well, even you, paid LinkedIn, right? Which are, just, yeah. Yeah. There's a lot of ways on LinkedIn that you can grow the business and stuff like that. Um, Edsel, just just wait until one of these days you're going to come on over to the dark side with us, the startup world, right? And yeah. you realize, like, I feel like I do it anyways, dude. Like, my Josh in the last ten years <laughs> has been starting up shit, whether it's community, getting people involved and engaged, and then usually I just move on to something else because once it's embedded in the organization and stuff like that, it's now I've got to deal with people. They they own these customers. You can't talk to these people, and I'm like, what? Then it becomes hard, harder to you're, you're a builder, be more Chris. political. I it's am, well, man. You're a builder. Same here. Yeah. You just wear all the hats. It's, it's amazing. I did not even assume how many hats I would wear when I joined this company. And it's like data. I'm doing my data work, the mm -hmm. stuff I'm good at, the engineering work. But then I'm also like picking marketing platforms, like helping with sales, helping with pitches, things that I've never done before. It's amazing. Everybody wears a hat and just gets shit done. That's really what it is at the end of the day. When you've got a small team, there isn't enough resources ever. So you just got to figure it out. You got to work hard and you got to keep your head down and do what's right. And prioritize, right? You got to pick yeah. the two or three things that you've got to prioritize above everything else Yep, and do them every day. I, I agree. And eventually there comes this time to start measuring what you're doing. I remember, I'll, I'll just give you a simple example. When I start building a community, I get, I, I just say, hey, look, there's two metrics that I look at, right? And let's just make it simple this first year. Just registrations and some engagement type metrics, right? Or could be some Google analytic type of stuff just to say, hey, we're doing this. But then you start becoming a little bit more mature and people want more. How is community affecting marketing? Are we doing an influenced pipeline? Are you in your ABAT? You know what I mean? There's a lot of things that you start embedding and evolving. It becomes a little bit more complex. How do you, as you start doing all this stuff, Jay, like, how do you push the team to thinking about the data in the future? Because it, it just becomes more and more important. Yeah, you get to do all these things as a startup. But how do you bring that all together and say, look, 
from a go-to-market standpoint, you've got marketing and sales, maybe even CSMs, et cetera, to start working together off of these different platforms. How do you keep that from being so siloed? There's always a silo piece to every, at some point, it just happens, right? To every company as you get grown. I don't know if that helped or that makes sense, but is there some kind of... Well, it's a very timely question. One one of the things that, the other thing I love about startup life is that you can just move and make decisions super quick, which is yeah. you know, to the I other love side it too. of the board. But a couple of weeks ago, we said, hey, like we really got to, we got to consolidate and get on a CRM that we can grow with for the next couple of years. And we flipped yeah. up spot on and we were going, right? Literally within days. Nice. Yeah. And to me, it's about not overcooking it, Chris. Don't boil the ocean. Yeah. What are the handful of things that you really are going to need to have sooner rather than later in terms of metrics and data? Great example for us was we didn't, we still don't, we're working on this right now, but we haven't really had any pipeline metrics. We've had a ton of great inbound lead flow and we just yeah. close deals every day. Yep. Deals closed. It's like, man, this is awesome. <laughs> At some point, <laughs> yeah. you're going to need to measure that. Yeah. And you're going to need to know whether they came inbound or whether you went outbound and got them. You're going to, yeah. you're going to want to know how long they were in the pipeline, what stages they were in before, when they either converted or fell out. How long did it take them to get to revenue, essentially? Hmm. Um, the first thing we did was we had to go set up our pipeline in, in HubSpot in a way that we could track it. Again, not overly complex. Like we have just a handful of stages, pretty yeah. standard stuff. But at some point, I want to be able to measure how many opportunities are we creating every week? That's a good metric to watch every single week. Are we creating enough opportunities? Because opportunities become qualified opportunities, become negotiations. Negotiations come close one business. Yeah, because billings and then that becomes revenue. So it's everything in our world, in our SaaS world is a pipeline. The sales one is the easiest to talk about, but, but yeah, so now it's really about getting the core systems in place in a way that you're just tracking that transactional activity that's happening. How many outbound calls am I making every day? How many outbound emails? The basics. Yeah. Just, but it, it does set you up for some cool stuff in the future. If you just get the basics right out of the gates and that's what. A, a lot of people, they will start companies and they're great at yeah. the product piece because and they know the market. They know how to build something that people love and want. They haven't had the operational piece. I know what's going to happen five years from now when yeah, yeah. somebody's trying to do due diligence on us. Exactly. Uh, like I know what's going to happen. I know what's coming. And so it's just about getting the building blocks in place first operationally day to day. And then that translates into the data and the analytics that you need down the road. How do you hire for that? Is that... I mean, as you know, what's going to happen five years from now, do you start thinking about, okay, yeah, we need some salespeople. We need the, you know, there's always those basics, but do you think, yeah. well, because a lot of people don't like to hire data analytics kind of people, maybe there, but there's some operational type stuff that you're going to have to start thinking about. Do you think of, okay, I've got to d- d- definitely do an operational hire here. We don't have to get over, we have to get carried away. I don't, how do you think of that as a leader? It's not perfect. It's not a perfect science, especially at this stage, but we have a person on our team, again, who wears multiple hats like we all do. And he does a little bit of our support in the product. He does a little bit, actually, I should say a lot of internal operations. He helped manage all all of our different tools that we use and integrate the data, revenue recognition. He's meeting with our our CEO and our He's learning a ton. Yeah, he's learning a ton. He's got it. And that's why he likes it. The startup. So people who like to work in startups like the variety of touching a lot of different things. The reality is as you grow, 
you have to become more specialized. Yeah. And people like that will either pick a lane that they want to go deep in or they'll go to the next startup, which is another hopefully uh, awesome opportunity for them. So, yeah, I would say it's hard that the, the thing to hire for is just people who will run through walls for you and with you. Who you want. So okay. I always talk about humble, hungry, smart. You heard that before. Patrick Lencioni from the Ideal Team Player. You want to hire people that are hungry, humble and smart. Hungry is they're just. They're going to, they're going to go hard. They're going to work hard, humble. Obviously we know what that means. They're they're They don't think, they don't think less of themselves. They just think about themselves less. And then smart is like <laughs> people smart, high emotional intelligence. And I think those are the kind of people you're looking for in a startup environment. People that don't mind Michael, when I say, Hey, can you sweep the floors today? <laughs> yeah. Yes, you have you an can. Office, right? Yeah. I'll do that. Yeah. Like that. Yeah. I have that kind of mentality coming into this. Like I've been a, senior executive for a long time in pretty big companies and but you got to roll up your sleeves if you want to work in a startup and you got to wear multiple hats yeah also the people point just to put an asterisk on that is so important right yeah getting the right people with the right emotional intelligence you're a small team if you got two people butting heads just two people creates disruption right yeah totally you need alignment you need focus and you need synergies right like it is everyone has to be marching towards the same goal and the moment you don't have that you got problems right because that one person is running five different departments in your large enterprise right yeah that's right <laughs> and you're just too small right you've got right. going in divergent direction you're you've got such finite resource at this stage that you have to know what you're shooting for and everybody has to be rowing in the same direction and by the way the same goes for a larger organization too. It's yeah. just as easy yeah. to get off course there when you have people that are pulling in different directions. I've I've been involved in that kind of situation myself <laughs> <laughs> several times in my career. That's our theme for uh, our SCO next uh, week is rolling in the same direction. Too funny that you said oh, that. I like it. <laughs> yeah, that's pretty cool. Like is there any advice that you would give to folks going to a startup as head of something? What's the Think what advice would you give to the hmm. folks moving from a, like you said, you're an executive now, not that you're not an executive, but you're having to go do a bunch of shit that maybe you didn't do before or whatever. Yeah. I think the big thing is, especially if you're coming from a bigger, that's a notoriously difficult transition to make. If you're coming from a bigger company to a smaller yeah. company like that, yep. a lot of people think they can do it and they get in there and they're like, oh, wait a minute. I just want to build spreadsheets and PowerPoints like I used to do. Or I remember I went to, I, I worked for a startup. It was 120 people at the time. We had raised a lot of money and I had just left a really big company. This is back in 2013. And, and I remember walking in the first day and there was a customer that was just on fire out of the gate. So like my first week I had to book travel to fly down to Florida to, to meet with this customer and get him back on the rails. And I remember talking to the woman at the front desk who we had a front desk person there because we were in the office at the time. I was like, so I got to book some travel. Who do I, who do I talk to about that? <laughs> She's like, uh, Priceline. I don't know. Like just go book it. <laughs> AmericanAirlines.com. Yeah. 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 I think that the advice would just be ready to get your hands dirtier than they've ever been. And if you're not willing to do the work, don't go join a startup because it's, it's necessary. Like the reason I'm digging into the go to market motion here, starting with prospecting 
is because I need to learn it from the ground up. I need to learn how people buy our product. I need to learn how people learn about us. I need yeah. to understand how they think about the problems we solve with my own ears. I need to see that. I can't take anybody else's word for it. Um, and I'll hopefully we'll be able to quickly evolve out of doing that, but I'll do it as long as it takes, as long as it's creating results for us. And as long as we're still learning things, because how do I scale? I scale by first doing things that are effective and then I make them efficient. If you try to make things efficient that you don't know are effective, then it's spitting in the wind. Yeah. So I would say just be ready. That, that's my one piece of advice. If you're going to go to work for a small company, just be ready to get, get your hands really dirty and, and have fun with it. Yeah. Sounds exciting to me. Mike, anything else on your end? No, this was so great, Jay. Thank you for joining and talking with us today, sharing your opinions. We really appreciate it. Yeah. Don't forget to rate and review us. I'm Michael Burks. And I'm Chris Detzel. Thanks, Jay. Thanks for tuning in. Thanks, guys.